0: after a big run, you always hear that there are just too many balls, too much excitement, too much optimism, that we've been lulled into a false sense of security. you hear it even after a sedate day, like today, where the Dow, which was down most of the day, gained 69 points, S&P climbed 0.29%, to an all-time high, I should add. Getting bored by those? And the NASDAQ advanced 0.22%. But here's my question. What exactly are we too bullish about? I mean, are there individual stocks and uh, sectors that, that have gone crazy? Uh, you know what? I always like to break things down. Let's take them one by one, as opposed to just making a sweeping and wrong judgment. Are we really being irrationally exuberant, say, with the banks, large sector of the market? Uh, after last week's run, tough to tell. When you see major dividend and buyback boosts after, of course, a federal government review, investors, I think, have good reason to get more positive. I mean, how can you feel the same way about the stock of Goldman Sachs when the company just increased its payoff by nearly 50% and rolled out a $7 billion buyback? Hey, that's more than 9% of the shares outstanding! In the end, the financials simply got better after the stress test results. And even here, I can't say there's that much enthusiasm. These stocks are darn cheap. Are we too bullish about healthcare? Another large sector? Dream on, partner. The managed care stocks have become proxies for the candidacy of Joe Biden, the most moderate Democrat on healthcare, who, has, who at least has a chance of winning. When Biden does badly in the debates like he did last week, these stocks go down. As for the drug companies, I mean, today we got still more articles about how the price gouging. This whole sector is political football until we get more clarity of the primaries. For now, though, the idea that investors are too bullish on healthcare, well, that is nuts! Retail. Oh, come on. Do you know, there are really only four brick-and-mortar retailers. Of There's like 100 stocks, but four that are working. Walmart, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. They're big enough to absorb the tra- tariff costs and to compete against Amazon. You can argue that their stocks are expensive, but the rest of retail... All right, I've got a kind of a frog in my throat, but I'm going to have to kind of give you a little Neil Young here. Helpless, 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 helpless. Neil Young... What else? The cyclicals remain trapped by China. There are a couple of industrials that seem unstoppable. I'll give you Honeywell and in, in, uh, Ingersoll Rand. However, the rest of the group pretty much refuses to budge. Once again, with a few exceptions, nobody's excited about this group. I mean, the steel stocks acted better before the tariffs that are supposed to protect them, for heaven's sake. Today's lack of enthusiasm for the trade truce sure didn't help. The most cyclical companies, the papers and chemicals, they have become some of the worst performers I have seen in my trading career. All right, how about the once red-hot aerospace sector? I mean, if you're hanging in there for months, Boeing's, well, it's a dog. Well, this is a group you can't even give away. i take BP. Please! Had to. Here's a company that had a tremendous quarter, good growth, solid. It's got 5.9% yield. Yet the stock seems cemented at 42, except when it falls to 41, that is. The oils are unbearable to own. This group, as my late mother would say, is from hunger. Airlines, hit or miss. Sure, the rails are acting better, but that's because they're all becoming better operators, not because the businesses have suddenly decided to be revalued as as, uh, commerce plays. How about FedEx and UPS? Only these former market leaders have turned into losers. (gasps) Tariffs. Let's see. Are we too bullish about the auto industry? (laughs) Come on. I mean, you've seen those valuations. These stocks are trading at ridiculously low price points, uh, which means that uh, people have zero faith in the future. Uh, and no wonder. Hey, General Motors just reported still one more negative set of quarterly numbers. Is that You don't ever know. It's like one of those stocks is like, I don't have to look at it. It's probably 38. Um, and, and so where does the argument uh, say that we're uh, too bullish? It comes from tech, where we do have some outrageous valuations. This morning, RBC downgraded two real high flyers, Trade Desk and Roku. Uh, we've had one. Uh, both stocks were able to bounce right back after opening lower. Roku stock ended up having a big day, rallying of fuck sixty-eight. Trade Desk fell almost nine points and then finished in the black. This is what I'm talking about. So it's still not like we're going crazy. Look at the internet stocks, Facebook and Alphabet, and we have more on Facebook. There are historically a low valuations. Yes, the answer plays Shopify, Twilio, and Etsy. They're pricey. But that's because investors are always going to be willing to pay up for what is rapid growth that's sustainable. Semis, I know, controversial. This group just had the beatdown of a lifetime, though. And while they bounced yesterday in the trade news, I mean, particularly the rollback of the Wild White Blacklist, they came right back today. It's tough to value newly minted IPOs like Zoom Video or the real real, um, even Uber and Lyft, beyond me. The whole class of 2019 is way too expensive in my eyes, and I think these stocks are indeed vulnerable. However, IPOs aren't a sector. They're just a subset of one group, with Beyond Meat thrown in for good measure, even though it's not really a tech stock at all. Look at the rest of tech, though. Intel, cheap as I've ever seen it. AMD's expensive, but not if the numbers come through, for heaven's sake. Micron sells for 6.4 times earnings. I mean, come on. That's one of the cheapest stocks I've ever seen. Software's got some pricey ones. I think some of the cloud kings are vulnerable. So, uh, Splunk service now, I mean, on fire every day. Salesforce, a lot insider selling a workday down, up seven yesterday. All right. Adobe, they could plumber from these levels, and they still wouldn't be cheap. But that's been true for years, people. It's not even noteworthy. These cloud stocks have permanent overvaluations with periods of painful swooning that you had to buy. I think they potentially go higher, maybe much higher, if the economy shows signs of slowing and investors crowd into the consistent growers. But there's always a chance something goes wrong and they all blow up off of one. Remember a couple years ago when LinkedIn blew up the same day as Tableau Day? Well, Tableau Software. I want to think about it. Tableau Software ended up being bought, bought by Mark by Benioff at Salesforce, uh, and uh, uh, LinkedIn was bought by Microsoft. I mean, you you can say the same thing for every software stock as a service. Any any SaaS stock that gets hit is going to get bought. All right, here's one, FinTech. To me, financial technology is the most overvalued part of the market. Visa, PayPal, Market Express, MasterCard. But they're viewed as secular growers, so so what? Every time they get hit, buyers come out of the woodwork. You want to go against Corps? Remember I recommended it and some short seller said it was no good? (laughs) Man, he's like, I think he's still on I-95 getting run over by 18-wheelers. Big caps, big cap techs, let's go over them. All right, this is important. Amazon, yes, vulnerable. Microsoft, after this run, vulnerable. Netflix, vulnerable. Apple, potentially vulnerable. These are the big ones that could potentially get pummeled, especially if the trade war heats up against Apple and gets caught in the crossfire. However, I think the deal the president just made is a major win for these guys. I, 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 I wouldn't sell Apple. Still, when you look over the whole market, the idea that we're we're too bullish, it does not hold up under close scrutiny. While there are some overvalued stocks, overall people, I think, are pretty skeptical, regardless of what polls say. Bottom line, feel free to pull in your horns because you think there's too much enthusiasm. I'm not seeing it. As far as I'm concerned, there's too much exuberance in one particular subset of expensive tech stocks. But other than that, you're boxing with phantoms. Stand in Florida. Stan.
1: Hey, Jim. Stand. Uh, I'm an owner of uh, the Dow-Dupont merger, and they yeah. s- spun off all three divisions. Dow's doing okay. Cortiva looks like it's going to have a rough year because of the Midwest flooding and so forth. Right. And DuPont today got hit with a big lawsuit from Camors saying that they totally, uh, almost fraudulently, uh, mislabeled their amount of reliabilities going forward. Yeah,
0: I thought that DuPont was scrubbed clean um, and that that will not be a big clawback. The best one of those three is DuPont. You know your stuff, man. Corteva, the the ag business is tough right now. You buy Agco if you want to do it. The one that did surprise me is Dow holding up at six, but it's just, it's got a bottom. Jim Fitterling, always welcome on the show. Now I need to speak to Eileen in my home state of New Jersey. Eileen!
1: Hi, Jim. Good evening. My question tonight has to do with automatic data processing. Yes. The ticker is ADP. Right. I've always been a big fan of ADP. However, I read an article last night after close of business, and apparently some institution is offering a block of 8 million shares. The stock is down 4%. Do you think something, um, someone is trying to We couldn't find out what was going, going on, on there now.
0: I, I, you know, first, I mean, I'm so glad you brought this up because I don't know who sold the stocks, not the company. Carlos Rodriguez is amazing. The company's incredible. That's why I said when it was down to 159, I just said, pull the trigger and buy. Buy, 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 buy. And I gotta tell you, even at 161, it's still a buy, regardless of who's the seller. All right, sure, some stocks are way too expensive right now. I get that. I gave them to you, but the majority of sectors are pretty much hated and cheap. And come on, hey, man, money tonight. What's driving some of the moves in the S&P? I'm going to go off the charts to find out. Then the trade war with China may have cooled this weekend, but tonight I'm revealing which stocks are the biggest winners from the Huawei detente and, of course, the biggest losers, the dangerous ones. Hey, and forget me for madness. It's more madness when it comes to cannabis. Somebody's doing well in brick and mortar. I'm talking to the company that's helping CBD go mainstream. So stay with Kramer. In May, the stock market just got obliterated as everyone freaked out about the heightened trade tensions with China. In June, the market came roaring back as it realized that the Federal Reserve was poised to cut interest rates and there might be some sort of resolution to the trade war. So, look, uh, that's past tense. Where are we headed in July? Tonight, we're going off the charts to answer that question with Carolyn Brodin. She's that brilliant technician who runs the FibonacciQueen.com website. Also, this be one of my colleagues at uh, realmoney.com where I blog every day. When the averages started pulling back in early May, Brodin told us she expected more pain, even though she was still long-term bullish. She nailed it. In fact, when you look at the daily chart of the S&P 500, you can see the Fibonacci Queen's methodology work all over the darn place. For example, she always tells us to watch out for what's known as the 513 crossover when the five-day exponential moving average crosses below the 13-day exponential moving average. And that's a sign that a correction may be at hand. And we got exactly that on May 8th. take a look. It's pretty interesting. And uh, the market continued to get clobbered. From the uh, highs in early May, the S&P eventually shed 225 points. Fib Queen, you nailed it. So why did the pullback end? All right, we've talked about the fundamental reasons constantly, but how about the technical ones? Uh, Brodin's called the Fibonacci queen for a reason. Her methodology involves looking at past swings in the market past swings in a stock, past swings in an index, and then running those swings through the prism of Fibonacci ratios. That's an important series of numbers discovered by the medieval godfather of mathematics. His name is Leonardo Fibonacci. Do you know he actually lived in Pisa in the 12th century? Exactly where they built the leaning tower. I just thought it was worth putting that in. To find important levels where that security might change its course. This applies to both the y-axis of the chart, which is price, okay, and the x-axis, which is time. Remember that course? So Broden's always searching for little clusters of Fibonacci price relationships and Fibonacci time cycles. In early June, we got a whole cluster of these timing cycles coming due on the 3rd and 4th. Whenever that happens, she expects a possible reversal of whatever the market's doing. If we're falling, we go higher. If we're rallying, we go lower. Sure enough, again, amazingly, uh, that's exactly when the S&P bottomed, and we got a beautiful rally with the five-day exponential moving average crossing back over the 13-day. I already marked it in green, but I thought it was important to do that. Um, And that's Brodin's trigger that tells you it's time to buy. The moment that happened, well, she knew the correction was over just by looking at the charge and the Fibonacci ratios. So where do we go from here? Well, even after the Monster Run last month, Roden thinks we've got still more upside. Check out this new version, the S&P 500 daily chart. The FIP Queen's shooting for still higher upside targets based on her usual methodology. The first one is at 3,015, up less than 2% from here. That shouldn't be a difficult hurdle to jump. Her next target comes in at the 3,093 level. That's to the 3,102 level. That's up a little more than 4%. And if we can break out over that level, the S&P, she says, could go to 3,308 which would represent a fantastic 11.3% gain. What a year that would be! That sounds darn good! However, however Broden also notes that we're flashing right now a, a cluster of Fibonacci time cycles that fall between yesterday and the 4th of July. And like I just told you, when an index hits a bunch of these timing cycles... Well, guess what? It means we're in for a reversal. So while Broden likes where we're headed long term, obviously, I mean, this would be incredible, right? Uh, Right now, the chart's telling her to anticipate a little, uh, let's say, pullback, uh, maybe later this week, tomorrow, Friday. That said, she'd be a buyer into weakness. Good opportunity. You just need to learn from the recent past year. She'd only be a buyer so long as her sell trigger doesn't fire, meaning as long as the S&P's five-day exponential moving average holds above the 13-day. Uh, if we get a bearish crossover in these two, she'll become more cautious until we get another set of clear Fibonacci signals that predict a bullish reversal. Ultimately, Broden thinks we'll see much higher prices from the December lows, and that is quite the contrary to all these bears that I keep hearing on TV, or like faux, you know, faux bulls, I guess is a better word for saying. But we might experience some turbulence along the way, and she warns that the turbulence might be coming very soon. All right. If you understand uh, what's driving the SP 500, why don't we consider one of its largest components? It's something I talk about constantly. Yep, you guessed it, Apple. Every time investors wrote off Apple's prospects, what did it do? The stock came roaring back, which is how the stock is now back a couple of bucks over 200. You know why I'm a believer in Apple. Even though the company was caught in the crossfire of the trade war, one of the few large operators that had the potential to be shelled by both sides. The company is transforming itself into the world's best consumer goods play with a fabulous razor, razor blade business model where they sell you the phone or the watch so they can make money charging you for various subscription services for years and years. I sure wish they'd start explaining this story just like I said in terms of the lifetime value or LTV of their subscribers, because that's what's going to matter, not the handset sales. That is the conclusion of a much thought that I had, just like I kind of like, kind of dreamed up the whole service revenue thing. But what about the, yeah? But what about the technical side? Take a look at Apple's daily chart. As much as it's already run, Broden says that if this stock can clear its current hurdle resistance at 205, and we are right there, she sees a lot more upside. In fact, her methodology suggests that Apple could run to $227 and maybe even $243. People are talking about all-time highs here. Uh, once again, though, if the five-day uh, exponential moving average crosses below the 13-day, all bets are off. And I know you hate that like buy high, sell low thing, but She's been right. So let me give you the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by someone who's been very right for our show, Carolyn Broden, suggests that both Apple and the broader S&P 500 have more room to run, maybe much more, but that the next few sessions might get a little dicey. So long as we don't get a, fi- a bearish 513 crossover, she thinks you could safely buy into any weakness, which would mean when all the action's really thin, on Thursday, on uh, Wednesday and Friday, it sounds like as long as it doesn't get down too much. Bye I like it because it's unemotional. Why don't we go to Christopher in Pennsylvania, Christopher? Dan, how are you? Uh, big Booyah from Philadelphia. Well, there I'm we go. I mean, uh, there we go. I like. Uh, <laughs> Gee, Hanuman Hospital just went bankrupt. How about that? Wow. All right, go ahead. Um, I'm a college student, first time caller. Wanted to ask about JD.com, ticker JD. Um, it's
2: been on a solid run recently. It's up about 20% this month. Uh, curious what your thoughts are for this one, considering the recent trade news. With China, Right? Uh, do you think I should hold or sell it?
0: You know what? I, I am, uh, you know, Peter Navarro was on our channel this morning. And uh, actually, people call it network. I'm so old, I call it channel. And, and he told a pretty a, a bullish story about how the talks are going well. So I guess you can stay with it. It's not my fave. But you know what? Um, that whole market is lifting all boats. Let's go to Beverly and Les in Arizona. Two, two, two for one. Where do you go? Let's go. I'm Beverly, and I'm Les. All right. So we, we bought Cloudera last October at fourteen seventy one a share. Yeah. And I think we should now
2: sell it and buy like AMD instead.
0: And I think that we should
1: hold on to it. And Les and I have a $10 bet going on here. It's up to you to see if I win the $10 or less. Can you give us your take on
0: this? Um, I would not sell it down here. The combination had so many prospects, but it failed to deliver. I agree with Les that AMD would be better. But I have to tell you the more I think about what Beverly's saying, I don't want the loss taken right now. It can't be this bad at Cloudera. (sighs) I think, I I mean, I I have to tell you, maybe I'm splitting the baby there, but that means kind of both are right. But Cloudera was a mistake, and you're not going to go wrong with AMD. All right. Listen up, the charts suggests the next few sessions are gonna get dicey, but then the s and headed higher, so maybe this is the opportunity. Much more mad money yet. President Trump softened his stance on Huawei, but which companies could see the benefits? I have not seen these names anywhere. We've got them here. Then I'm taking you inside the world of fintech, and I'm telling you about a stock that might be worth considering. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round, so stick with Kramer. In the last couple of months, the cannabis stocks, well, they've gotten completely hammered. You know I think the group got too hot and needed to cool down. But this is still a tremendous long-term opportunity because of so much displacement that this is going to do. And that's why I want to keep getting these companies in your face. Be familiar with the newly minted cannabis companies. Take Green Growth Brands. That's an American company that's listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange. Green Growth actually operates in the U.S. They describe themselves as a lifestyle-oriented consumer products company that sells cannabis-related products like CBD, which was legalized late last year. These guys have been opening CBD stores all over the country. So is this the kind of cannabis exposure that's worth having? Let's take a closer look with Peter Horvath. He's the CEO of Green Growth Brands. You get a better sense of how this company is doing and where it is headed, Mr. Horvath, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Thanks for having me back, Jim. It's great to be here.
0: All right. So, Peter, since we talked to you last, there's been, uh, look, they legalized it on a federal level, but it's just CBD. But you put up a lot of stores. What's your experience? Because you promised us good looking stores. And I can see from the pictures they sure are
2: beautiful. Well, Jim, you know, I met with you, uh, spoke with you eight months ago. I think it was the day that cannabis was becoming uh, legal recreationally in Canada. Exactly. And uh, and back then we had one dispensary. Uh, We had just closed on a deal. Today we have licenses that allow us to open up 47 dispensaries in three states, Florida, Nevada, uh, and Massachusetts. And you're right, the CBD thing seems to be going legit way faster than the cannabis thing. And I know I know there's a lot of interest in cannabis, and, and we're very interested, but we're also interested in being a kind of a dual threat. Uh, uh, CBD, we've opened uh, in just the four, last four months. We've opened 60 shops. In the next four months, we're going to top out at 230 shops, and then we'll see where we go from there. But the way that happened, just to prove how legitimate it's becoming, It came through partnerships with Simon Property Group and Brookfield Management, so uh, big-time mall developers, guys with the best malls in the world, and they gave us access to the best locations and the best malls right away, which is why we're rolling so fast.
0: Well, I'm so glad you called them shops. You know, the dispensary is just—that's pre-the revolution, (laughs) frankly— Dispensary makes it sound like it's where sick people go in order to be able to get some sort of, uh, you, know, a, 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 you know, some sort of morphine near the end of their lives. And I'm so glad because you're bringing this mainstream. I want you to tell us what some of the testimonials are when people have gone to your stores, because these stores are now they're all over the place. And you must be able to actually start build up a model of same store numbers.
2: Yeah, and that's. Thank you for mentioning same store sales because both you and I think it's kind of going to be kind of important at some point. And uh, you know, we operate two dispensaries in Nevada. I'm going to use them as the case study. Okay. They they do over 18 million dollars each. They they do 15 thousand dollars per foot in sales, which any retailer would drool over. My God. Uh, and and they have no tourists. They are in the suburbs. So it's not, you know, we don't have the taxi cabs bringing people. It's just, it's it's basically locals. Uh, 85% of the people who shop there live within six miles. So these people, localization, which we knew at Victoria's Secret and American Eagle was essential to having a future with brands. Best, you know, I'd say Lululemon does it awesome. They have a community, each store, even though it might be in a mall, it's, it's specific and relevant and real to the local customers. Our two dispensaries in Nevada are exactly that way. There's, we get one and a half visits per week. It's like, it's like buying eggs and milk. So, so right. with all that, we've, you know, we've got this merchant team that comes from Victoria's Secret, Abercrombie, other places, bringing merchandising, not just store operations, to cannabis. What happens when you do that? Well, I'll tell you, two weeks ago, we just changed the floor set uh, to make it easier to navigate, we've been working on narrowing the assortment, mm-hmm. doing all the things that you and I love about great retailers today. And we got about a 12% increase in sales. And we're talking about stores that do $15,000 wow. a foot. Yeah. So when you get 12% on $15,000, I think that the numbers are too big for me to figure well, out.
0: But, but Peter, <laughs> we, <laughs> but we should point <laughs> out that the Nevada stores are THC. Uh, they have yes. THC. And THC is something that a lot of people really want. CBD nice THC recreationally, uh, a lot of people love. So I mean, can that be ex- if the is is that a good example of what could happen if THC is legalized?
2: I Well, I think so. Uh, you know let, let me tell you a little bit about the CBD shops. Basically, we've decided. Only to sell topical product, which means it doesn't get into your blood, which means the FDA isn't so interested in it. Right. I don't know if you're aware, but, you know, uh, people are selling inhalable or ingestible CBD. And right now that's that's federally illegal per the FDA. Scott Gottlieb was Um, on our
0: network saying, you know, we got to we have no dosing rules. Stop taking that stuff. Said nothing bad about topical.
2: Yeah, that's what. so that's why we focus on topical. And think about it, our backgrounds, the team's backgrounds are Bath and Body Works, Procter and Gamble, Beersdorf. We understand how to manufacture across the world at the highest cosmetic standards, at the Whole Foods standard, at GMP. Let's do that with CBD, which we felt nobody else was doing. And we actually have the most comprehensive assortment of topical product. And this is what's amazing, Jim. Eight months ago, it didn't exist. Right. And so we're excited. This is a speed race. And it's amazing. But why, it's just why, you obviously,
0: know, uh, you, you know, uh, Irwin Simon, uh, long time guest on the show from uh, a previous company. OK, mm-hmm. on this Afria. you did make a hostel after a stock got knocked down. Why didn't you try to f- combine friendly? You know, Irwin, I mean, Irwin, you mentioned Whole Foods. You know that, that Walter Rob's on his board. I mean, couldn't something have been worked out there?
2: Well, I think that well that was exactly the way we approached it. It was opportunistic. I wouldn't say it's in our, our we have any plans to go go hostile on anybody in the future or to go after an LP, but that was the, at that point in time. It was opportunistic. We knew that team well. Erwin hadn't yet joined. He joined after right. we announced the bid. Erwin right. and I spoke two weeks ago. Uh, look, the cannabis industry, I'd say there are no enemies. Everybody knows that they need each other, and they also know that someday they might be bought by one of these other guys that you, that you meet at these conferences and, you know, out there on the road. So I think friendly is the only way to go in this industry. The, the way it worked for us was a, was a function of the uh, how our boards were operating, Uh, And the specific circumstances of, you know, they had a short that was uh, killing their stock at the time. Right, right.
0: It was a a short. But they, one of the things that you guys are doing, you're approaching for young people. You got the Abercrombie. And the other thing I got to tell you that I really like about what you're doing is that you hired uh, a a chief merchant with the kind of Victoria's Secret. You are hitting the right, Mm -hmm. the right group. You're not just after, uh, you know, in Oregon, it's mostly older people uh, or stoners, frankly. You are dealing with regular people.
2: Yeah, we we understand consumers. I mean, that's how we built our careers. When you get as old as me, you've been around a little bit <coughs> and we've learned from some of the best merchants. Look, if you think about the best merchants you've probably had on your show, you know, there's Les Wexner, there's Mickey Drexler, you know, that, that's we all learn from people like that. And I'm kind of excited to be in an industry where people are just cherry picking a few positions, but right. they don't have organizations top to bottom that understand what merchants do on a Monday. All right, know, well, that's the day. Yeah.
0: We, but unfortunately, we got to wrap up. I mean, I can talk to you all day. I mean, you're fast. You, cool. You're one of our guys, all right? So I do hope you'll come right, to the cool. set or we go to one of your stores because I think you're approaching it right. The other guys are all approaching it so that it's, frankly, a, a little uh, unbecoming to go to the stores. That is Peter Horvath. Yeah. He's the CEO of Green Growth Brands. You see why I had him on. He is moving merchandise in actual numbers plus 12% pickup. Isn't that something? Stay with Kramer. Yesterday, there was a lot of enthusiasm and nearly, frankly, as much skepticism over the president's new trade ceasefire with China. Now, we know he put the next round of tariffs on hold. We know he's restarting negotiations with the Chinese. But after viewing what Trump actually agreed to do, the biggest thing by far is the rollback of sanctions on Huawei. When the president blacklisted this $100 $100 billion in sales Chinese telco equipment this month, it was truly a major escalation in trade war kind of shocking, frankly. Uh, it crushed all, uh, all the stocks of the companies that do business with Huawei here, and there's a lot of semiconductor companies that do business. However, before you start buying Huawei suppliers hand over fist, you need to be careful, because we still don't have much detail about what happened. And I expect some of these suppliers will benefit a lot more than others, and some not benefit at all. So who wins from the trade detente and who might not when it comes to Huawei? Okay, here's how I look at it. When the Blacklist was rolled out. It initially hit all of Huawei's suppliers. Now that it's being rolled back, I only expect a partial rollback. If you make plain vanilla t- uh, tech that's used for handsets, just for your phone, okay, just for this, all right. I'm betting you're good to go. But if you're making the components for telco infrastructure, I think you got a pretty big problem. Our government desperately wants Nokia, Ericsson, and Telus and Samsung, to catch up to Huawei when it comes to 5G, and they're so far behind. Look, I'd like to just say good luck, but I think Samsung's making a comeback. Ericsson, Nokia, not that fast. But the best way to do this, the best way to make sure that they're in the lead would be to put Huawei out of business because they're so far ahead of everybody else. They make better and less expensive equipment. But there's only so far that you can push these things. After Huawei sanctions, the White House was clearly worried that Apple was about to be targeted, blacklisted by the Chinese government. I don't know if that's why the hardliners lost this one, but whatever the reason, the more pro-trade forces in the administration triumphed. Now, it doesn't mean the hardliners go away, uh, which is why I have to view this as a limited victory. Under these conditions, I think you need to be selective. I'm betting the rollback of the sanctions will benefit Probably going to write these down because there's a lot of them that were said that were benefiting. They're wrong. The winners, Skyworks, Micron, Texas Instruments, and Corvo. Now, I am not sure about Broadcom or Xilinx, and I'm skeptical, particularly about the last one, which was down a lot today. The issue here is simple. The more proprietary your chips are, the less likely you'll be allowed to sell them to Huawei. Think of it as commodity versus proprietary. If your company makes components for cell phones, you're probably good. If you make chips for military communications, ah, uh-uh, you're off the table. If you make wireless infrastructure technology, I think it depends because they really don't want to let Huawei uh, run away with 5G. In short, the Trump administration is willing to stop trying to destroy Huawei. I mean, that's a real blow to the hardliners. Remember, the hardliners mean people who are cold warriors, but they're still keeping the serial bad actor. Om- this is their term: short leash. Speaking of hardliners, this morning we spoke to Pete Navarro. Now, Peter is the president's top trade advisor on Squawk on the Street. It was, I wish I had been there. It was in the 10 o'clock hour. I was not able to play. Um, but he told us that they're, in a great interview, that they're only permitting the sale of lower-tech items to Huawei that won't, emphasize, won't impact national security. Listen to what he told Faber.
2: Selling chips to Huawei, a small amount of chips, less than a billion dollars worth of chips a year uh, in the short run, uh, is small in the scheme of things. 5G, uh, the fight for 5G, President Trump is very committed uh, to having the U.S. take the lead on 5G, uh, building uh, companies like Nokia and Ericsson up uh, in Europe that will contribute to that process. So 5G is huge, Uh, selling a few chips to Huawei is not.
0: In other words, this trade truce is great news for the more commoditized semiconductor companies, but it will have less of an impact on high-tech proprietary semis. So let's go over what I think are the potential winners so you have it more in-depth more in and not are just, like, you know, grasping. When you look at the companies that do the most business with Huawei, Micron, Xilinx, Skyworks, Corvo, Infi, and Lumentum. They all get more than 10% of their sales from the company. Okay, so that's the broad list. Lumentum and Infi, um, uh-uh, they're at the top of the list. Uh, uh, but the former is a telco infrastructure play, possibly too proprietary, and the latter has an inconsistent trade record. I'm not going to recommend that here. As for the others, Corvo, Q-R-V-O, makes radio frequency chips for both wireless and broadband communications. This is a company that already gets more than half of its sales from China. In early May, Corvo reported a blowout quarter, powered by its booming 5G business. But nobody seemed to care. Later, that month for the Huawei blacklist, the company had to slash its forecast for the quarter by $50 million, And that's a lot for this company. So is it a, quarter, a winner now? Do we just tack on that to Corvo and start buying it? Not so fast. I'd say it's only a partial win. The handset side of the business should be safer. But you know what? I've got doubts about the telco infrastructure side. Uh, and that's all about 5G. Not with the White House signaling that they still want to check Huawei's dominance there. I mean, you heard Navarro. I think he's not giving you a green light. I expect Corvo to do better, but it wouldn't be my number one pick here. It's sort of a microcosm for the broader group. How about SkyWorks (SWKS), which makes radio frequency chips for all sorts of connected devices, especially phones? Yep. Skyworks is a winner here. While they also have infrastructure business, their biggest customers on the side uh, are Nokia and Ericsson. Now, Huawei. You heard what Navarro said. That's who we're trying to get to win. While it's smartphone business is much more levered to China. I think it works, especially since the Chinese haven't retaliated against their top handset customer, Apple. Skyworks has a very strong management team. It is an extremely cheap stock that has just gotten beaten up here. Risk, reward, good. Then there's Xilinx, XLNX. Now, that's a make a programmable systems on a chip, certainly proprietary, not commodity at all. Huge exposure to 5G, 27% of its sales from China. Yesterday, the stock surged higher on the trade truce, but today it gave up nearly all of those gains and then some because the Trump administration doesn't seem OK with selling this kind of technology to Huawei. As much as I like them i got to tell you, no thanks. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got the commodity players like Micron and Western Digital. Micron makes uh, DRAMs and flash memory chips. Western Digital makes hard drives and flash. Now, there's nothing sensitive about this stuff at all, nothing proprietary. While both stocks got hit today, they're going to be big beneficiaries now that Huawei can buy commodity semiconductors from American companies again. But, and this is the big but here, it's tough to recommend these stocks here. They've already had a tremendous recovery just last week. Micron reported better than fear quarter and indicated that they would made adjustments to offset 90% of the China tariffs. At the end of the day, you should only buy Micron or Western Digital if you believe the flash business is bottoming really hard. When I go over the Micron call, I mean, they're talking about a bottoming year over year. That is probably too far for most of you. Right, so what about the telco equipment companies? I and mean, you ever thinking about Acacia, Sienna, Inferra, uh, uh, Finisar Aluminum. After listening to Peter Navarro this morning, i, I, I got to avoid them all. I'm not kidding. They're, they're all in the penalty box after what he said on Squawk on the Street. If the, if the White House wants to slow Huawei's quest for 5G domination, this kind of stuff is exactly the kind of stuff they're not going to let Huawei buy. Let me give you one more that pulled back today severely that I thought was unwarranted. And that's the stock, not the dog, NVIDIA. Now, NVIDIA doesn't care about selling chips to Huawei. It's, it's, they're about gaming, data center, artificial intelligence, machine learning, autonomous driving. However, this company is trying to buy Mellanox to cement its position in the data center. And the Chinese regulators have been holding up the deal. Remember last year when China blocked Qualcomm's acquisition of NXP 70? Both stocks got clobbered. We don't want to see the same thing play out with NVIDIA. And with the president dialing back the trade tensions, maybe in response to Apple, I think there's a much better chance that Chinese authorities will greenlight the Mellanox deal. No guarantees, but it sure makes Nvidia attractive here. What an easy way for China to show that it's willing to play ball. And what a great opportunity, given the fact that the stock was completely annihilated today. The bottom line, I don't want to downplay the importance of what was agreed to this weekend. But the president isn't rolling back the whole Huawei blacklist, just part of it. That's why I think Skyworks Solutions is the biggest winner here. And many companies that do business with Huawei, like the telco component suppliers, the ones that jumped, they may not be winners at all. Stick with me. It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate it's Time for the lightning round. We're going with Zach in California. Zach. Emma, thanks so much for taking my call. Um, I would love your opinion on Grocery Outlet. Uh, ticker is G-O. Uh- I need to do more work. Why? Because I've never visited one. Red-hot IPO that I haven't been able to visit makes me ill-informed, and I will not opine. Let's go to Doug in New York. Doug! Yo! King Kramer's Doug from Brooklyn. How well, are you? Well, good to have you. I'll see you tonight, maybe, at the Longshoreman What's happening? All right. I'm throwing a big Brooklyn booyah right at you. I hope you get it. I'll take it. My, my, uh, right. my company is Mastec, M- ticker M. This is just a plain vanilla utility fix-up play. They do a lot of stuff to just make utilities better. And it's a good Ah! one. And I like your play. Brooklyn's got horse sense. And you go to Chris in Mississippi. Chris. Yes. You're up, Uh, Chris.
1: First time caller, long time listener. All right, that's what I want.
0: Pardon me? That's what I want. I'm embracing you. Okay. Um... International paper. International paper? I think it's going to miss the quarter. Boy, that group is bad. I'm going to throw in West Rock as another stock can on them. Well, hey, let's go to Michael in New York. Mike! Mike, what, Mike? Mike.
2: booyah Professor Kramer. Superb! You, What's friend. up?
0: My ticker is A-R-W-R Arrowhead Pharmaceuticals. Let's do more work on that. You know, I haven't looked at that one in a while. It's been red hot, and there's a lot of room in biotech, a lot of rumors in biotech. So, again, I mean, I know that's 2 unpunting one, but isn't it better to punt than just make up stuff? Let's go to Drew in Connecticut. The answer is yes, to that. Let's go to Drew in Connecticut. Drew!
1: Booyah, Jim. Great to be on Mad Money. Grew up watching Wall Street Week with Louis, Louis Rukeyser. Now I'm getting my
2: education from you on Mad Money. My stock is PepsiCo.
0: Well, I've got to tell you, Raymond McGuarta, who is always welcome to the show, has taken the baton from Engineer and advanced it even further. Faster growth rate, moving it up. I like the numbers. Bingo! That still goes hard. Oh, you think I'm done? You're out of your mind. Let's go to Betsy in California. Betsy! Hey, Jim. First, I want to thank you so much for teaching me how to do my own homework.
1: That's through your the book. point.
0: Yes, yes, yes. How can I help?
1: Okay, now, here's the deal, Jim. I never heard you talk about this particular stock. And in addition to MasterCard,
0: I wanted something with great margins, great dividend, and great return. I'm talking about Blackstone BX. Candidly, candidly, here, here's what happened there. I recommend it, recommend it, recommend it. And then they announced that change in structure going from LP to C, to a regular corporation. And I said that was it. I want to take the plant. The uh, let, let's take the money off. That was a mistake. It's going to continue to go higher. Thank you, Stephanie Link, for informing on that. I was too quick to take the profit. Stay in it. Hey, listen, I got it wrong. I, I, I but I had a huge call, and no one ever got to taking the profit. Let's go to Curtis in North Carolina. Curtis, Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking the call today in the land of the free and the home of the brave and a great Fourth of July to you and the Mad Money team. Wow. Yes, right back at ya. Thank you, sir. Jim, I'm today about a small Canadian company that's got my attention in the cannabis sector. It's called Organic Symbologia. I would and like you to know, I know there. it. Uh, it's interesting. It's highly speculative. I can't necessarily say it's the one I would buy. Uh, I'm like, I'm in more inclined these days to buy Kronos. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round.
1: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: Can we agree on something? Can we stipulate that this market loves anything fintech? Money managers can't get enough of any sort of payment processor, even if it's losing money. Okay, take Venmo. That's that peer-to-peer payment arm of PayPal. Oh, loves. When it started out, Venmo was free. Now PayPal has shrewdly added some fees for users. Nothing big, but enough to give the company's earnings a real boost. This market loves this thing. Now, I bring this up because there's a new one in town. Yeah, there's a new fintech company. It's got payment processing going for it. It's got kind of Bitcoin y thing and giant scale and, best of all, blockchain. The good news I'm talking about a brand new company. It's called Libra, which is all the rage. The bad news it's owned by that all time pariah villain with a tattered reputation, Facebook. Fortunately, this made up currency is cordoned off from the rest of Facebook and backed by a consortium of 28 partners, including Facebook. But I think it's helping to change the entire narrative for this narrative well business. Imagine if Facebook can get a piece of the payment space. It would be huge, and it will be. Sure, Facebook is still in the crosshairs. Plenty of Congress people want to, r- to rake them over the coals for their plan to roll out Libra to their 2.7 billion users. And to be fair, they have a point when a company uses its dominant position to, uh, in one market to push into a uh, different market. It does need to be careful. I mean, that's how Microsoft lost its big trust case nearly 20 years ago. And yes, when it comes to cryptocurrency, the bulls have a bad habit of overstating their arguments. Remember when Bitcoin was going to put central banks out of business? Yeah. So when you hear that Facebook is going to liberate poor people world over who don't have bank accounts or that they're going to help people in developing countries with unstable currencies, I understand why you might be up. Tad skeptical, but Libra doesn't have to be revolutionary to be very, very useful. However, the reason there's opposition to Libra is the very thing that makes it a big deal. It's attached to Facebook via its messaging platform, potentially connecting to billions of people all over the world. For the legislators who are worried about Facebook misusing your data, the idea that they're going to muscle their way to the payments process might, might be alarming. But if you care about the earnings per share, Uh, That sounds like a pretty good story, especially in a market that can't get enough fintech. And hey, ever since Facebook rolled out the concept of Libra in a really boring white paper, it's become the big cap stock to beat this market. On good days, it soars. On bad days, it's unchanged. Welcome to the new world of fintech. It's Facebook! You don't have to like it, but you shouldn't hate Facebook and let that hatred get in the way of owning one real hot stock. It's in the payments business. Stick with Kramer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I'll see you next time.